experience, bitch. Hello, it's time to experience Beige, the podcast where longtime friends discuss science fiction and fantasy, pop culture and entertainment. All right, we have no time to waste. We're going to get right into our topics today because we have a couple of uh, popular sci-fi shows that are airing currently and we want to discuss them. So the first one uh, that just had its uh, season premiere uh, that's The Mandalorian, uh, Season 2, Episode 1. So I thought what we would do, similar to our discussion about the season premiere of Discovery, for the sake of our podcast audience, we would talk about uh, our kind of relationship with Mandalorian or larger Star Wars universe, just kind of bring everybody up to speed with where we're at with the franchise and maybe the larger Star Wars universe. So I am going to hand it over to Hugo because although I feel pretty confident in my Star Trek knowledge, uh, Star Wars, although I do enjoy Star Wars, I am not as knowledgeable as Hugo is. I My knowledge is basically limited to the main movie universe, so to speak. All the, uh, I guess they call them the uh, the Skywalker saga those nine films, that's kind of my meat and potatoes Star Star Wars. So Hugo can delve in deeper with uh, books and cartoons and all sorts of things. So Hugo, take it away. Whatever you want to talk about just to warm us up for our Mandalorian chat. <laughs> sure, Dave. So as Dave says, I'm the, I'm the Star Wars geek of this podcast. Uh, I, uh, I'm well acquainted with not just the Skywalker saga, but also what people call the expanded universe the uh that being the uh the universe beyond the main movies so that would include novels comics games um i've uh, experienced star wars in all those formats and you know i think one of the things i'll start off saying dave is one of the frustrations among many <laughs> that i had with the the most recent trilogy was how it seemed to exist sort of in its own vacuum apart from any other st- it, it seemed to pay homage to the original trilogy and then basically just pretend that no other star wars existed uh, even oddly enough the prequels it seemed to just kind of <laughs> disregard the prequels uh which 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 was very frustrating to see these films you know you and i've talked numerous times about how uh, i did not like force awakens i i thought it was such a wasted opportunity to get to continue on the story of Star Wars and then do nothing with it except basically do a reshoot, uh, recreation of A New Hope. Uh, I, I, I was very frustrated with the fact that after 40 years and, and all the adventures and sacrifices our heroes had done, that nothing had changed. That literally we were back to the same evil empire versus brave rebels resistance and a new Death Star has to be stopped. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just uh, just to jump in real quick. I I would say that seeing that movie, you know, I had a a similar reaction, but I guess mine was more like more about okay, I get it. This is a huge franchise. The you know prequels had their issues. Maybe 
you know, the, there's the jokes about how the there's so much about the the, the political intrigue of the Senate and thing, you know. The, the, now there's pod racing. There's all this stuff that maybe people don't immediately uh, immediately identify with Star Wars, at least going into the prequels. And so they really wanted to get back to the to the roots of Star Wars and let's really get it, you know, give the people what they want, which I, I guess to them meant let's just recreate the the first movie. Um, but I was kind of I was like, OK, I get it. This is just everybody coming back to what they want from star wars let's just uh like i said give the people what they want but this is just setting it up this is just the first movie it's just setting it up we're gonna get we're gonna get deeper more complicated more interesting more you know we're gonna really put our own spin on it moving forward which i guess you could say was true in the in the next movie but kind of a mess just back and forth different direct different directors different uh uh, creative minds involved and just did not work that not to I don't not to take the steam from where you're going but I, I mean I felt the same way but I, I maybe I was a little more optimistic after the first movie because although I agree with what you're saying uh, I'm thinking okay that was just set up but now now uh, in the year 2020 with 2020 vision you're looking back and you're saying nope that that wasn't set up. They just didn't know what they were doing. They they were just blindly trying to to put these movies out there, and it didn't work. And that and that now that hammers what I was getting at too, which is yes, the different directors and and different you know the back and forth uh, story beats and, and and themes. There was no sense of coherent vision. There was no sense of 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 a shared universe. Right? Like it was like here's here's Force Awakens. If you like New Hope, you're gonna love this because it's the same thing. <laughs> and then it's uh, last, you know, Last Jedi. Oh, we're gonna subvert the tropes. We're gonna we're gonna take a totally different approach. Okay, cool. Like if you want to change, like I did, cool. Where's this going? Oh, what a setup. And then the last one, which is like, nah, never mind. We're actually literally just gonna regurgitate everything that fans say they loved <laughs> about the original trilogy we're gonna jam pack it all into this grand finale no matter how little sense it makes and the mandalorian does the opposite the mandalorian in a way that frustrated me at first before um the last movie came out rise of skywalker came out but now i fully appreciate the mandalorian is very understated and very mindful of its place in Star Wars. The Mandalorian is the story of a man protecting a baby in the Star Wars universe. And that's it. It's it's not going to there's not going to be a big Death Star or a world-ending catastrophe. Um, but at the same time, it's gonna be very rooted in that universe. It's gonna be very mindful of of its setting. And of what's been established before in the canon. And and the first few episodes of Mandalorian, I, I was kind of hoping for something more epic, you know, back in season one, because I I was not liking the new movies and I kind of wanted that void to be filled of of, a, of, a, of an epic Star Wars experience. Uh, and the first few episodes, you might remember, Dave, were, were kind of standalone. They they mm. were kind of just little almost like almost like uh going back to how sci-fi shows used to be done, serialized, where like it was just like Here's an episode. You can even watch them out of order for the most part. 
and you won't miss anything. And uh, the season did eventually tie a lot of things together. And once it did, and I looked back on the first season, I really, really appreciated what they did and, and how how they took the opposite approach of Rise of Skywalker, how instead of just overwhelming you with Star Wars stuff, they just built these little stories that even casual fans could jump into with with no great previous investment and enjoy on their own merits. But at the same time, and, and I think this is largely due to the difference in, in who's behind this. You know, the movies had J.J. Abrams, who, you know, you and I have complained about the Star Wars movies by him, who just comes in, Star Trek movies by him, sorry, um, who just comes into a franchise and just basically does, you know, his wannabe Spielberg <laughs> impersonation and doesn't really, doesn't really... He, he can't close ideas he has. He's very good at coming up with ideas, but as we remember from Lost, he actually has no answers. And he said this in talks. He said he's outright admitted in public talks that he loves to create mystery boxes that get the audience very invested, but he actually has no idea what's in the box. And that to me is just – it's almost insulting as an audience member, right, like <laughs> that you're going to set this stuff up and not have an answer ready. Uh, I feel like you're kind of cheating your audience in, into in, into thinking you're clever when really you're just. I mean, anyone can ask questions. It's it's coming up with interesting answers. That's the hard part, and he just can't do it. And and that said, I will I will say though that at least with you know J.J. Abrams has done enough stuff now that you kind of know what you're getting. And I almost would have preferred if this was an option, even though I agree with a lot of what you're saying about him. I almost would have preferred just to have J.J. Abrams do all of the last three movies, seven, eight, nine, uh, because even though he has his flaws, hopefully that would have been a more coherent vision. Because my real problem with how they handled seven, eight, nine was here's J.J. Abrams doing his J.J. Abrams thing, and then oh, we're gonna give it to this new guy, uh, Ryan Johnson. That's right, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Correct. Jump in if I get these names wrong. Uh, and you know, oh, he's got a lot of, you know, he has this, these, this interesting filmography. What is he going to do with it? I had problems with Last Jedi. Um, I know, I, I know it's kind of di- divisive movie. Um, I didn't dislike it for what seems to be the stereotypical reasons people disliked it, which was either. I don't, it seemed like there was kind of a racial thing going on with some people. That's definitely does not include me. And there also seems to be the idea of, oh, he's he's messing too much with with Star Wars. He, like he's he's breaking it, or you know, this isn't the Star Wars that we know. And as I've said up top, although I enjoy Star Wars, I'm not like I'm not hugely invested in it. So that stuff didn't bother me. What bothered me was there's no coherence from the between the three movies, which or between I would say even the larger uh Skywalker saga because he wanted to do his own thing, which was he being the director, which is admirable, but how about we give him his own trilogy and he can do that? In the, dropping him in however you want to look at it, the second of three movies or the eighth of nine movies, and now he's just going on his own path, that to me was didn't work. And it it was very disruptive, not in like a constructive way. It was just like, what what's the point of this? So the first movie sets all the, these things up. 
Um, I think the most jarring one. There's lot, and we there's lots that we could discuss here, but you know we won't take the time to do it because that'll take too much time. Uh, uh, Snoke, right? That's the name. Yeah. Snoke. Yeah. So Snoke built up in uh, uh, movie number seven, and we're like, oh, who is this? This is this is kind of a uh, the new big bad. Like this is the bad, the big bad uh, behind, you know, kind of the stand-in. So kind of the stand-in for the emperor, where where um, you know we he's kind of the big bad behind the 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 Darth Vader stand-in. Um, and so you're, oh, what? But what's what's his story? We did, you know, you're just you're at least my mind was racing with the potential of this character. Like, who is he? Where did he come from? And you're thinking, okay, next movie, we're really gonna delve into this. And then he just kills him. I'm not. It's not. I'm not mad that they killed this character because I really like the character. I didn't really know anything about him. But why waste that potential? And then essentially do nothing with the character, and then he's t- totally out of the the movie. And then, it, but then it gets handed back to J.J. Abrams, who I'm assuming wanted to do something with that character, and then had this void that he had to fill, fill, and you know, bring in the Emperor in the last movie and totally shoehorn the Emperor in. Maybe if we didn't kill this character, we could have done something more interesting with him, and we wouldn't have. The, the third movie wouldn't have been the mess that it was. So even though J.J. Abrams has his flaws, and again, there's lots of other examples of this. I just used the, the Snoke character because I think it's a big one. I, I would have liked to have seen that more than just jumping between directors because it wasn't just directors. It was like writers and uh, the, the creative leads of the movies. If it was just like a visual difference between directors, then that's one thing. But it, it's like it was... It was they were like totally incongruent. The movie. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. That that's absolutely right, Dave. I think you're right. Abrams, for all my problems with him, it would have been better to just keep all three with him. And that's on Disney. It's crazy to me that the studio that brought us the Marvel universe and did such a good job at linking all these movies together and keep keeping them coherent. This universe, in turn, took on the biggest movie franchise in history. Gave it initially. Gave it to three different directors and said, "Go ahead and do whatever you want with this." this conclusion right this conclusion to the most epic like cinematic story that that we've known like just go ahead and do each of you what you want with it it's it, it, it just boggles the mind and so that's you know for the mandalorian i don't know if disney was conscious in this or if it's just good luck that they hired john favreau who is good about this but but the 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 nice thing about the mandalorian is that john favreau who's the main producer brought aboard uh, Dave Filoni to 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 to, to co-executive produce and run this show with him. And for those of you who don't know, Dave Filoni is basically George Lucas's heir. Like George Filoni was brought on by George Lucas. I think it was almost two. It was almost two decades ago when the original Clone Wars animated series started. Um, when the when the first run, sorry for it started. It, it, you know, George Lucas brought Dave Filoni to help him do this show. And so this this Clone Wars animated series uh, the, has been became sort of an, a, a cult hit and really fleshed out the prequel trilogy in a way that a lot of fans really responded to and liked. And, and it was one of those things where I kind of missed it the first time around. But as the years went on, I kept hearing and hearing about this 
this great animated series. And I, I thought that it was a children's show. Um, and eventually it came to Netflix and, and now it's on Disney plus and eventually I ended up watching it and it, it, it now granted it's, it's like six or seven seasons. <laughs> so it's not, it's not quick viewing, but it basically pads out and fills in the prequels to such a point that while the movies are not good, you can see the stories and the plots that Lucas came up with. You can see them as good now. You can see, and you can see there's a lot more depth and context to everything going on in those films now because of this animated series. And Filoni, like he's he's gone on to do other stuff. He did a Star Wars Rebels, another animated series. Um, but but again, the thing about Filoni is it's clear in all his works that he loves and understands Star Wars, that he gets George Lucas's vision. And that he's familiar with what other people have done. You know, that was that was the thing about the new movies. It, it seemed like Abrams and even Johnson just didn't care, right? They just didn't care what anyone else had done with Star Wars. It was they were going to do their vision and do a homage to Lucas or, or a rejection of Lucas, uh, as the case may be. Um, but that was it. Whereas Filoni very much understands he he's he's standing on the shoulders of people who've who've worked on this universe in addition to Lucas, and and. And I feel like the Mandalorian is the Mandalorian works because he's there, because he keeps, uh, you know, the Mandalorian has brought in different directors for each episode, but I feel like Filoni and, and Favreau, I guess too, have have maintained a consistent vision, not just to the storytelling, which I think most directors could have done with a with a TV show, but to the universe, uh, to to to, you know, little things like the fact, you know, I was mentioning how the new movies don't don't even acknowledge the prequels here the mandalorian he you know he he was orphaned in the clone wars you see the battle droids you see how menacing they look they look far more menacing in this show than they ever did in in the big budget spectacles um uh, you know that lucas directed uh, you 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 see in this recent episode you see the death star exploding and people cheering you see the the broader universe people responding to it um, things like that it just it just feels very aware without ever going over the top into blatant uh ridiculous uh uh fan service like rise of skywalker did yeah it's it's an interesting push and pull with the mandalorian because on the one hand like you've said before it's this kind of standalone experience it's kind of has its own pace it's it's part of the larger uh, star wars universe but it's very much its own plot line but then it also, like you said, you had that moment with the Death Star. It's like, oh, so I know that. That's the Death Star. I remember that from the movies. And then you have Boba Fett's armor. Like, hey, I know that. That's Boba Fett's armor. So you have that, your little breadcrumbs. And th- but then it also has, what to me, as someone who's just more familiar with the, the mainstream films, uh, you have things that are kind of a little bit more obscure, at least to me, where as the the season finale last year, where I know the thing's called the Darksaber because I looked it up. I can't remember what the dude's name is. I'm sure you can fill us in. But it's just seemed very important. First, the character, like 
if you know who this guy is, you're like, whoa, this guy's in this show? And like, what's that? And like you, I mean, the Darksaber itself is just cool looking. So you, even if you don't know anything about it, it's like, whoa, that looks like a lightsaber, but it's crazy looking and it looks dark and evil. I don't know what's going on, but clearly this guy's important because he has it. And we're going to get filled in at some point about this. But so it's kind of interesting where I, at the on the one hand, it's kind of a mainstream hit a lot having to do with baby Yoda, of course. Um, but it has kind of these more obscure trappings too, of like characters that you wouldn't know unless you watched the, the, the TV shows, the cartoons and things like that. And it, and it works on both levels. That's, that's what's brilliant about it, right? If you've got a fan like me who's invested into learning more of the lore, I'm seeing all these, you know, the the dark saber to me was something I'd seen before in previous in previous stories, and it was really neat. It's like, oh, it's the dark saber. How did he get it? Whoa, what's it gonna mean? Uh, oh, that's that's a Mandalorian weapon. But at the same time, you know, like you said, Dave, you were watching it, and you don't need to know all that to know that it's important and cool. <laughs> like, yes. They 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 present it in such a way that if you're familiar with it, you'll you'll see that sort of history. But never, I, I'm impressed how they've never done anything in such a way that you're, as a as a casual viewer, you're going to be lost. I don't feel like the the, Mandal- the Mandalorian has ever done anything where, as a casual viewer, it just loses you to, to some sort of deep cut reference to the extended lore, and and that that's impressive to me that they can satisfy sort of both sets of fans um, with the storytelling they're doing. And I think part of that is because of how modest they are. You know, like I said, I think that kind of frustrated me at first because I wanted something more epic. But I know just from reading reviews and talking to people, uh, Baby Yoda and I think also just the modesty of the storytelling of just telling these sort of, you know, simpler focused stories um, resonates with people and and is something that people really enjoy and and want to see. And, And at the same time, now that I did see the whole first season and now now with that in mind for this new episode. There are there is a larger story coming together, but it's not gonna ever. It doesn't seem like it's ever gonna be at the point where like, oh, you know, if you you know, you're you're totally lost if you didn't like memorize every single detail from every single episode. <laughs> so I I think they've done a great job. Um, jumping into the new episode, I I was I, I with that mindset in place, I really liked the new episode. I thought it was a, a rousing start. Um, it had some cool moments, um, some neat references. Uh, it was a story that was kind of familiar. I mean, we've seen the story before, you know, like the the outsider comes into it. We've a seen this story town. before in the first season of the show, <laughs> 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 which is basically a community is in trouble from an outside force, and the Mandalorian comes in and teaches them how to stand up for themselves. It and that does sound familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of one of like. So where I'm kind of at with the show, I'm I think I'm a I enjoy it certainly. I think it's just great to have like what seems to be, you know, a lot of love and attention goes into the show. It obviously has a good budget. Um, you know, being a science fiction and fantasy fan, I lo- I love to see you know Star Wars on our TV set because it's nice that it's ex- expanding, even not as a you know, the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, it's nice to see it, see the, the success that it's had because, you know, it's bringing along other shows. Like, they're going to uh, do um, Obi-Wan, which I just... I, first of all, I think uh, Ewan, McGre- Ewan McGregor, right? That was... Who, yeah. Yeah. I just thought he did just such a fantastic job in the prequels. To me, 
my favorite part of all three movies. He just really nailed it and just holds the screen so well. And you're just so invested with what the character's doing. You want to see what he does next. Obviously, part of that is because you know this character from the original trilogy. So it has that going for it. But you, you want to know more about him. In a movie that's in a series of movies that are about the origin story of Darth Vader, essentially, the fact that Obi Wan can hold his own so well is just. I think one of the best parts of the of the prequel tri- trilogies, and you're—I just want to know what happens next with him. You kind of know he's there on the planet, and he's guarding Luke until until such time that you know the the timeline catches up with the 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 very first Star Wars movie. But uh, I think there's you, there's just interesting things you can do with that. So not to go out on a tangent, but it's it's opening opportunities for other shows and other uh, uh, Star Wars content. So it's not just locked in. I know there was cartoons before this and things like that, but I think uh, a live action show like this is just going to get more people uh, invested. And I think that's just great as a science fiction fantasy fan. Um, I ha- I'm not totally where you are yet. I'm still trying to train my brain to not expect like bombastic huge the the galaxy itself is in peril kind of storylines because that's again having only watched or i mean i've seen other things here and there but my prime primary uh door into star wars is these is the uh the nine uh, major movies that that's kind of what my brain expects from star wars so having it on this smaller scale i you know i Although I certainly enjoy it, I, it still takes me out of it a little bit. That you know, oh, this is really just going to be about um, his quest to reunite Baby Yoda with his family, and I think that's great. It's just you have to kind of come to terms with that. And I, what I also do like about it, because I've been a big proponent of telling, of having sh- not not that every show has to be like this, but of having shows that aren't afraid to have stand essentially standalone st- uh, episodic stories, because part of it is to get back to a previous conversation we've had on this podcast is you know my love for next gen. That's just how TV was back then. TV was every episode is its own story. You're going to get a beginning, middle, and end. There's probably an A plot and a B plot. By the end, everything's solved. And by the next episode, it starts all, all over. There's not a big you know, continuation necessarily of overarching plots and things like that. So obviously, The Mandalorian being a more modern show does have some of that. There's uh, you know, certainly his quest to reunite Baby Yoda with his people. There's uh, you know, the dark saber's gonna make a, 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 you know, come back into the picture, and then you have other characters that we didn't see in this first episode that I'm sure are coming back. Uh, so there, but there, it's not afraid to kind of give you these one-shot kind of anthology-esque episodes, and I've long thought that there is room for this, especially in science fiction and fantasy, but anything to kind of get back to that type of storytelling because everything every modern show science fiction fantasy or anything else just seems to be all about this is one large show 
every episode is just a slice of the larger narrative. Everything is one continuous story. You have to see everything that be came before, everything that came after. You have to know in detail all the plots and characters that are going on. You can't just come in and try to figure it out. And I think that's great. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I don't know that every show needs to be like that. It just seems like people have fallen into the trap of thinking, well, that's, mo that's what modern television is. And if you don't do it that way, it seems old school or just you know, not as sophisticated as what viewers are expecting nowadays. And I don't think it has to be like that. So I do, I do respect that the show is kind of going out on that limb and it is telling us kind of this, you know, it definitely has a Western in space sort of theme overall. And this, you know, stranger comes into town and saves the day by teaching everybody to work together. I mean, that is definitely a trope in uh, Westerns as well as other genres. Um, I was, a little, I, I, you know, that that's very much the same plot was used in the first season so that kind of, that was a little bit of a turnoff that, i think they did it better in this this episode so maybe they were thinking you know we kind of did this in the first season but i think we can improve upon it and make it more interesting by you know cuz the uh, the one from the first season that i'm thinking about it has the 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 walker yeah thing. the atsd right yeah and that so that was obviously cool because it gave it, again because this isn't a huge epic plot when you see something from that huge epic plot that you've expect from star wars and it's put into the smaller narrative you're like whoa that thing's scary that yeah. thing's deadly yeah where it's like when it's just one among like a hundred on a planet somewhere you're not as it's the, the scale is lost so that's another benefit of doing like that this dragon from this episode like wow how are they like I, it's star wars they have these spaceships they have lasers and all you know lightsabers and the force and i mean not these characters in the show necessarily they have all these fantastical things and i'm like but how are they going to deal with this dragon so like I, so sometimes these these plots that are well trodden are well trodden for a reason. So I like the the tweaks and and, and turns that they did with uh, with the setup in this episode. And let's just get into the episode since we're already talking about it. Um, one of the things that I liked about it, and again, not being someone who's delved into the more expanded universe of Star Wars. Maybe this has been done, but I, I I don't think so. I like we're getting to know the Sand People. That's what like, I was gonna say. Yep, yep. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Like I, I just know them as like they're they're killers. Like they're rem they have no remorse, and they're just gonna take your stuff, and they're gonna leave you to die in the desert, and and that works as a as villains in a, 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 you know in a small aspect in a larger epic that we know uh star wars to be but then you can examine them it's like well there there's probably nuance there this is you know this is a society of intelligent beings and i like that we got to kind of glimpse into their little world there yeah i i, I liked in the first season they kind of hinted at that i remember there was a, a episode where it was just a, a quick shot of the mandalorian talking to sand people and you know in the movies you you have two two and a half hours to tell this big these big stories and so everything 
and, and you know, a lot of movies do this, especially in sci-fi. But I feel like Star Wars, in particular, is notorious for it. But everything, every alien thing in the movies, <laughs> is a big stereotype, right? This is the desert planet. This is the ice planet. <laughs> these are the the savage people. These are the you know the Jawas. These are the trader people. You know, like every uh, everyone has their like big stereotype <laughs> that defines them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean. That's fine. Sci-fi is largely about holding up a mirror to humanity. And so to the extent that things like that, like even in Star Trek, right, that the the Ferengi are basically, uh, you know, showing us our capitalistic side or the Klingons are showing us how how much sometimes we value pride. Um, You know, sci-fi does that. So that's fine. But but some of it has not aged well. Right. Like like this episode, I thought was kind of interesting because one of the things that you know, over the last few years, I think we're becoming more aware of as a society is is about like uh, colonialist and imperialist narratives and how much it infuses a lot of Western storytelling. And if you go back and look at some of Star Wars, for example, and especially in this episode, it was almost blatantly clear. I mean, hearkening back to the to the Western genre, right? That this is clearly inspired by, right? Where you have the the uh, the villagers, the townspeople, who are basically the white settlers. <laughs> And then you have the sand people who are the indigenous people. And one is savage and one is civilized. And, you know, that's that's how Westerns were written. But that just doesn't play well anymore because it's, it's really, you know, both cultures were far more nuanced and complex than that. And, 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 and you know, both both cultures, you know, the, the indigenous people weren't savages. They had a lot of uh, complexity and beauty to their culture. And, and the settlers weren't like these noble educated people they did some horrible things too and and i thought you know it was a very hopeful sign last season when they had that sort of oh like the 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 sand people can be reasoned with they can negotiate look the 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 mandalorian views them as as fellow beings and and this episode almost seemed to be cognizant of the fact that the townspeople they're not they weren't presented as evil but they also were presented as somewhat intolerant and in not even giving the sand people a chance to get to know them and and the way it fleshed out the sand people's culture and and showed the mandalorians sort of talking to them and engaging them and, and bringing these two people together um i thought i thought just was, was was a very nice touch for a star wars story and also bodes well going forward that this show is not just going to be full of star wars tropes that it's going to, when it draws on Star Wars, um, established Star Wars lore, it's going to flesh it out in a in an interesting sort of nuanced way, and and I, I think that's really neat to see. That's that is the advantage that a TV show offers over a film is that you can spend the time to develop these things, and so uh, it's great that the Mandalorian is doing that and is not you know in 2020 <laughs> falling into the trap of just being like oh indigenous people are savage and you know settlers are good like it's it's actually you know sort of dealing um, with what those narratives mean and what can be done with them even while maintaining sort of the homage to to, to classical Western storytelling. Yeah, I also like that the show is kind of being true to itself this has felt very much an extension of the first season now obviously that worked really well so why would you change it but i did have fears that this was all of a sudden going to become the baby yoda show which at least judging from the first episode doesn't seem to be the case now obviously he's there he's doing the cute things that are going to be memed i'm sure where he's closing the 
the little baby carrier when things are about to get violent and, and stuff like that. I could see that in a message board where people are starting to argue and someone does a little meme. It's probably a meme already and it's closing <laughs> sure the it visor because the person doesn't want to be involved with this uh, fight. Um, but, but still very much in the same role it's not like okay baby yoda you're this is your show you're taking over it's very much about the mandalorian as it i was be. surprised how underutilized baby yoda was yeah you're right they they were so restrained i, I thought almost too restrained in that he literally <laughs> didn't do anything besides be cute like he just kind of watched and hung out and uh yeah I, I i think you're right i think they're not gonna go um, overboard in uh, exploiting. <laughs> Let the merchandise do that, right? There's plenty <laughs> right. of exploitation of Baby Yoda to be had uh, with uh, selling stuff. Uh, I'm just going to jump around a little bit, if if you don't mind. Some of these are kind of, as people who have are repeat listeners, I like to jump around with some nitpick type things, just because that's what entertains me. Uh, I did. I thought it was. A, a good episode overall so don't take this as me disliking the episode and some of these are just questions they're not necessarily nitpicks they're just things i don't understand so why uh, so he in the last season he has he has this armorer mandalorian who's been, who's been his like guide right and she tells him she basically gives him the quest you have to reunite Baby Yoda, and we're just going to call him Baby Yoda. I'm sure the the child, I guess we can say, but everyone knows him as Baby Yoda. Uh, you have to un unite Baby Yoda with his people. And so obviously he sees that armor character as somebody who has, who is very influential and I need to do what she says. But she already gave you the quest. And granted, she didn't know where to go, but she told you that there's Jedi that she even says the word Jedi. There's Jedi who have a connection with this species. Why? But in this whole episode, he's driven to find more Mandalorians. Like, I didn't get that. I get that he wants that community, and if he has that network, then maybe would ha someone would have information. But he doesn't. He seems pretty desperate. He's like has this kind of tip from this person who he leaves to die and all the tip is like yeah there's somebody on this entire planet of Tatooine there's one Mandalorian supposedly on there you can you know figure it out that's not much to go on I think it's much more to go on okay I'm looking for Jedi because I already have a Mandalorian guide who's put me on this quest why am I not just looking for Jedi at this point? Why don't I, instead of asking around for Mandalorians, hey, does anybody know anything about Jedi? This is shortly after the original trilogy. Somebody's have probably have heard of Jedi, even though up to that point, it's been like a, a dead society. But now you have Luke Skywalker. Is that ringing, ringing a bell with anybody? Like, I don't think it would take very long for him to get from Jedi to Luke Skywalker or something. <laughs> and I don't think Luke Skywalker is going to be part of the show. So that's, you know, part of the answer. We don't want to yeah. probably tie too much into right. that, <laughs> into the movie world. But it just, it just grabbed me as kind of odd. Like, okay, I have my quest. Now I have to find more Mandalorians to tell me what else to do. No, you've already been told what to do. The the armor told you what to do. Find some Jedi. Let's let's go. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was more just if he went straight for Jedi, 
people would be like, oh, you mean like that guy who blew up the second Death Star? <laughs> yes. And then, then they'd have to get Mark Hamill in. Um, I, I did think it was interesting, though, you know, sort of to explore that a little bit further, though. I think you're right. I, I think that was kind of not um, – the end of season one did not really lead to the quest at the beginning of season two, which which is which is kind of an odd thing. But I, I thought the other interesting thing that was, I guess, implied by this – is that it does sort of add context to the clan he was a part of in season one and shows that they were sort of an isolated community. You know, it was, it was never really clear in season one. You know, we could tell they were sort of a remnant faction, that something bad has happened to Mandalore, but it was unclear how how connected they were to the larger Mandalorian, um, I guess, exile community. Uh, and now it seems like they were in fact this very isolated cell of Mandalorians, which actually tracks with with those of us who are familiar with the expanded lore and previous shows, um, that their practices are not in line actually uh, with what has been established for Mandalorians. Like if you watch the Clone Wars animated series or Star Wars Rebels, there's nothing in their cult in the in the established Mandalorian culture about not being able to take off your helmets. Mm-hmm. Or having to reclaim their armor or things like that. And here it seems like a very big deal. So I know in season one people were suspecting that maybe this is some sort of radical offshoot of the main Mandalorian culture. And I I, I think that is where they're going. I think this is sort of like, I mean, I, I guess extremist, an extremist sort of um, um, remnant group that has taken sort of Mandalorian culture and magnified it. And and I, I don't know how far they're going to go with that, but but I think it I think it is interesting now that they have kind of clearly shown these were not the main Mandalorians. This was a small pocket that had its own interpretation. Yeah, that makes sense, and that could make sense why he feels like he needs to put out his feelers for Mandalorians elsewhere that might be more clued into the workings of the universe, and uh, and maybe would have not only. Uh, some sort of uh, tidbit to get him closer to the Jedi, but just guide him in general. Like he's kind of out there blind and he, he needs that kind of connection with his, with his people. Um, so I'm going to, so this one is, doesn't really matter because it didn't affect the, the plot very much, but I did think it was weird. <laughs> so he's following the, uh, the sheriff character. Cause he's, he's like, okay, you helped me kill the dragon. I'll give you this Mandalorian armor that you know, clearly do not want me to wear. And I'll bring my ship in. And then uh, Mando's like, I'll bring my ship in. And they're like, no, we can't do that. We got to go. That'll scare him away. We have to go hunt him. Uh, but I know where he is. And so he's, the Mandalorian's following the sheriff character. And he's like, oh, and he's like, it's not very far. They're on their like speeder bikes for a while. Then all of a sudden he's in this canyon where you have these like, evil dog creatures and then it's the sand people and then the mandalorian's like cool we can work with the sand people it was like what happened with the sheriff knowing where this thing lived <laughs> what was that what happened it was weird it's like i'll take you to the dragon and you're thinking in the because in the show the mandalorian gets kind of like tricked or betrayed quite a bit so you're you know you know can i trust this sheriff character i i don't know maybe so then you get to this canyon and it's like oh he's leading him to an ambush 
And they're like, no, it's just the sand people. But he has no connection. The sheriff has no connection to the sand people other than he sees them as his enemy. So he clearly didn't mean to guide them into this canyon. And it's like, and then once they start working together, it still seems like it's quite a bit of a journey to get to the dragons. Like, did the sheriff even know where he was going? I don't think so. It was, oh, it was and really then it's weird. worse. It's even more contradictory, Dave, because they, then the sand people take them to... What, what do they say? It's a, it's an old Sarlacc pit? Oh, and, that's right. And the sheriff's like, I've lived here for a long time on Tatooine. The, the, there's no empty Sarlacc pits. <laughs> and and then the Mandalorian's like, it is if a crate Dragon ate one. And it's like, wait, Sheriff. <laughs> I thought you knew where he lives. This this is where he lives in the empty Sarlacc pit. <laughs> I, I think he just was like, I know the general direction yeah. that the thing comes from when it attacks our town let's just go that way. And maybe if he would have said that, the Mandalorian would have been like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not working with you. That's, 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 that's my, sometimes that's you have it. to bring, a, <laughs> as an audience member, you have to bring a, you know some connective tissue. Uh, so that's kind of what I did with that one. But uh, speaking of which, so they get, so the big, the big plan is the, the, the two communities work together. They're going to entice the dragon out and then when it's far enough out, they're going to explode the munitions, and because that's its weak point is its belly, and that that'll end the creature. Uh, another nitpick: what was what's with this plan? Why don't we draw back our line of fire far enough where it's going to bring the creature all the way out to be exploded, but it can't eat us? Like, it's like they brought the line too far in. It's like, okay, here he comes. No, further, further. But he's already eating our guys. Like, well, why did we set him up there? We should have set him up a little further where his he would have been fully exposed. It was just kind of funny. It's like, guys, what are you doing? And if you noticed, I also thought it was funny, his uh, acid spit stuff seemed to only be going after the sand people. And I wonder yeah. if that was like, we didn't want to see human, like visibly human people get dissolved, but like the sand people were being dissolved left and right. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> like they're getting the short end of this uh, bargain here, but they get the pearl thing at the end. So I guess it was all worth it. Well, they kept having to sacrifice the sand person to every time to bring yeah. out the dragon. I felt bad for these volunteers. Yeah, I was like, how about one of the villagers go up there and like yell at the dragon to bring it out? Like, no. <laughs> and did the three of them really need to go? Like all the way <laughs> right. up to the cave? Like, I think one could have done that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. But yeah, so it comes out and I'm, uh, uh, they, they saved the day they uh mandalorian gets the armor back he's not as far as we know closer to finding a mandalorian but then we see this mysterious figure uh, at the very end i have no idea who this guy i mean my guess is is this actually boba fett and without his armor and he wants to get his armor back i have no idea do you know who this guy is the one at the very very end very very end so that was uh tamura morrison who played um, Bo- uh, Jango Fett, and also played the Clone Troopers in in uh, Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith. So we do know that it is, I mean, from the casting, that it has to be a clone or uh, Boba Fett. Okay. And judging from his look, so I actually went back to take another look at his appearance there at the end, because at first I thought it was a clone. I thought it might be Captain Rex, um, who's who's a pretty popular character from the Clone Wars animated series, or or one of the other clone heroes. But the last time we see Captain Rex, he 
and this is a few years before this show was set, Captain Rex has got white hair. I mean, because, you know, the clones were, were rapidly aged to be ready to fight. So they were basically cloned and then rapidly aged to adulthood um, to be, be ready for the army. So mm. I, judging from the the appearance, the age of of of, of this character, uh, which is of course Demora Morrison's age, um, and also uh, from his face, he didn't look at all like Captain Rex. Um, he seemed to have some sort of scar or some damage on his face, and we do know that Boba Fett is a clone of Jango Fett who was not aged. Jango Fett wanted a son, so he asked for a clone of himself that would not be rapidly aged. So uh, I, I think it's Boba Fett, which I'm actually kind of bummed about. I, I think it doesn't make sense. Mm. <laughs> um, you got to give the people their Boba Fett. They want their Boba Fett. You know, after praising the show for being so modest and not doing crazy things, um, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I, but, but you know what? You know what? Not to cut you off. But maybe much because Boba Fett is infamous for being this super popular character based pretty much on him looking cool. Um, and people have invested all this thought and attention into this character who doesn't have a lot of screen time in the original trilogy. Maybe just like the Sand People where they flesh them out and make them more interesting in this episode, maybe we'll see a Boba Fett. Obviously, this is a Boba Fett we've never seen before who survived the Sarlacc pit somehow and he's you know getting by on the desert planet. Maybe, because I agree with you, like, uh, do we need Boba Fett in this show? That just seems like a little too much. But, you know, this show has shown us it can do, you know, kind of take an interesting twist on on Star Wars things we've already seen. So, so, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see what they do with the character, assuming that that's who it was and all that. Yeah, well, and two things about about the Boba Fett, I guess, to to come back to it, which is... um... Number one, uh, you know, speaking of how he's so popular because he looked cool, I I love the fact that the marshal, when he comes in, does not look cool in the <laughs> Boba Fett armor. <laughs> he's he's like this lanky, mismatched, uh, you know, looking dude, and you see him, and you're like, that, who is who's this jokester? Like this this guy doesn't look fierce. Um, I I thought that was really bold of the show to like you know be like yeah I, you know boba fett may have looked cool but someone just slapping parts of his armor on is not going to look very cool <laughs> so i i did like that um and and secondly um you know it's it's chekhov's gun right like they've now given the mandalorian boba fett's armor mm-hmm. in act one <laughs> it's gotta go somewhere by act three so I guess it's gonna go to, um, you know, uh, it's gonna go to um, Boba Fett. Yeah, and I mean, definitely has an interesting. Well, and I think I saw where people were saying in the first season there was that also on Tatooine there was that kind of shot of a shadowy figure that kind of appears. You don't see the the face or anything. I didn't know who that was. I thought it was, I don't know his name, the guy who had the dark saber. Um, oh, M- Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. I thought that's who that was supposed to be. Like he's tracking down the Mandalorian. We don't know who he is yet, but we see him later in that season. But uh, I think there was speculation that that was Boba Fett all along. So yeah, I think you're right. I think so. They yeah, have planned if that's the case, and they have planned to use him. So ho- hopefully they 
they know what they're doing with them. Uh, all right. So unless you have anything else to add, I think we'll move over to discovery um, since we've, well, running out of time, so to speak. Yeah. Just because no, we're trying I think, to keep I think, the podcasts to a similar length every time. I think discovery, there's less to say this week. I know the first two episodes we had a lot to chat about, but this one seemed to be, be a bit more modest in his storytelling as well and more focused. Um, actually, uh, you know, jumping ahead, it had some interesting parallels to The Mandalorian in mm-hmm. that both the third episode of season three of Discovery and the first episode of The Mandalorian season two dealt with, you know, uh, a group of raiders mm-hmm. <laughs> and, a, and a group of uh, almost xenophobic um, uh settlers or townspeople or earth people mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know kind of coming into conflict and then being brought together by the protagonists of our respective shows yeah that's true and uh, yeah definitely like the outside force bringing people together to work together like kind of holding up a mirror to their society uh, yeah definitely a, a commonality there i'm gonna get my my super nitpick out of the way so we don't run out of time this should be a reoccurring category of the of our show uh this has nothing to do with anything it's totally inconsequential uh but burnham's hair is way too long that is way more than a year's growth and i asked my wife this because she would know better than i i don't keep my hair long it's very short uh and it's kind of funny because they show the as the time goes by and it's her hair's growing longer and then like the 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 middle like length of of her hair growing is like yeah that looks like a year like this is like down to like the small of her back like i i just don't uh, it's kind of funny for something that they're using as like a time telling device it's just kind of funny i think they just more important than that they want to use it as a visual device to show that burnham's changed and you know, because she's had that kind of haircut in the first couple of seasons, and now it's like she's letting it all grow. All she's she's letting her hair down, very literally. Um, <laughs> and so, anyway, that was just my my inconsequential nitpick. It's just like I don't think her hair would have grown that long in a year. That looks like multiple years worth of hair growth. But now that I've wasted our time on that, uh, but. So let's get let's get into Burnham because you know as we've discussed this is kind of her show. Since I'm on the topic of one of the focus of this episode and maybe this season, depending on how much they go back to it, is that Burnham has been essentially on her own for a year. She's been without her crew, and that has changed her. And there's that kind of there's that nice scene with Tilly's like you you know to paraphrase you let us go didn't you. You know, it's been a year. She's searching for them, but she's kind of given up because she doesn't know when they're going to appear. They've maybe they have already appeared in the past. Maybe they're not going to appear for another thousand years. So that's hard. You have to kind of, you know, maybe not give up hope, but let go in the sense that you have to move on with your life. And I think that's a very interesting thing. And I hope they do more with that this season, uh, because what I think what what would have been better than just a, a, a quick montage of her hair growing longer. It's like, I would have liked to have seen more of what her year alone was like, because that would have made it, that would have given it uh, more meat on the bone of 
what she's dealing with as a character because we we don't really see anything they just again they have the quick montage of her hair growing and then they also have these like inside jokes with book hey remember this remember that it's like well no we don't remember any of that we didn't see any of it now it's hard because they it's even though it's burnham's show they want to get the rest of discovery involved and they got to bring them together and like what were they going to do in uh, an entire half season of just Michael on her own? Well, maybe, maybe that actually would have been cool, but they decided against that for, you know, not surprising reasons. This is a Star Trek show, even though the crew in this show is not, doesn't, isn't as involved in some other Star Treks, you know, that's, that is what Star Trek is. We got to get them together and get them on the, the titular ship discovery. But I would have liked to seen something like maybe the ha first half of this episode of just Michael uh, on her own, or even if you're just keeping it to a montage. Let's see some of her, uh, some of her dealing with the fallout of of not being with her crew and just having to uh, just adjust to this this future that she's you know a fish out of water. I think that would have helped me kind of, as an audience just understand her struggle a little bit more than just hearing characters talk about it. Yeah, I mentioned last time I I had thought they were going to go a few episodes with that storyline of just her. And then the way they did the second episode, I was like, oh, okay, I'm kind of glad it. they just jumped ahead and dealt with this. But, but now that I thought about it and hearing you say this, I, they almost should have just done, yeah, like the first three episodes should have just been like a, a mini movie of like Burnham's first year, right? Like just what it like as the desperation grows and then when she eventually gives up on her crew and then like settles into her new life and then we get to see what the, then we get to see what the galaxy is really like i feel like we still don't have a sense of that like but, but michael should that's the that's the but disconnect. michael should yeah. michael should know everything and i think if they were just going to skip a year ahead and just kind of forget that year happened and michael's like back to normal so to speak and she's part of the crew again and we're just we're just tidying everything up and she now she's knowledgeable of the of the universe but only where they were because there's no warp so she only knows the immediate like area of where she was operating she doesn't know what earth what earth is like or anything like that but she knows enough about she knows certainly knows a lot more than the crew does uh but yeah i think if they were going to do that then that might have worked but it seems like this is going to be an ongoing aspect of her character, or at least I hope it is, because I think it's interesting that 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 this she's been this year apart, and what does that mean? And how, how can she go back to her, what to her is a former life, even though it's the current life to everybody yeah. else? And I really I, I I like that, and I I hope they do something with it. And it would have helped if we if we would have seen more of her pulling away. Like, uh, you know, like we've been discussing. I think it's also odd because she's the protagonist. And so in a way, she's kind of our point of view character. And now we're at a point where we don't really know her point of view. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so from a storytelling perspective, that's just it just creates some dissonance as an audience member where now she has this year of experiences that we don't know. But she's the one we're following around. So... I hope it means that they are now going into a um, more of a focus on the ensemble cast. I mean, certainly this episode, one of the bits I liked was how they kept cutting back to the bridge crew and kept showing what they were doing. And the and the episode actually ended with the bridge crew mm -hmm. having their moment by the tree at Starfleet Academy, which I thought was a really nice touch to um, 
to to bring them all together like that and to show like hey these are characters we follow as well like we haven't done it really before Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we're gonna start doing it this season like trust us and uh although you know my biggest gripe with the episode um it was fine i i I enjoyed it uh not as much as the first two but um i felt like it was a wasted opportunity it was an episode called people of earth oh you know they're gonna have the same yeah, thing that I yeah. Had. There was this big buildup of like we're gonna go back to Earth and see what it's like, you know. Like we were just saying, we haven't really seen the larger universe. Like they kind of want to. I feel like the writers want it both ways. They kind of want to be like, oh, it's this post-apocalyptic wasteland, but they never really commit to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like the, at least in the three episodes we've seen so far, um, Earth looked pretty darn nice when yes. they showed. <laughs> that did not look like a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland to me. And so, like, I guess my biggest disappointment was, you know, we get to Earth, and first off, we don't barely, we barely see it. We see a tree, and we see this uh, aerial shot of what looks like a very nice Federation level esque <laughs> San Francisco. Um, but that's it. All that we see of Earth is, it, it actually reminded me of Babylon Five. Was this sort of Earth Core, um, Earth First, um, xenophobic society that again they didn't really commit to? Like they mentioned that they shot. These these um, these these uh, these people from Titan the, without talking to them, but none of their behavior in this episode indicates they're actually that violent. It, it, look at the way they treat Discovery. Look at the way they kind of you know come to terms pretty quickly. It was just really weird, like that the Earth they came up with, you know, for 900 years in the future, is uh, we're mildly xenophobic, but we're not really that bad, and that's it. Like we're just. Yeah, I had a similar take because uh, early in this episode, so they get the you know sort of direct continuation of the second episode, and so they come together, and in a, I think, for lack of a better word, in a weaker, a, a less interesting idea or a more typical idea would have been, we got to get to Earth for whatever reason. You know, other than the obvious, like this is our home world. We have to get to Earth because that's where Starfleet is headquartered, and they'll they'll have the answers. And then maybe they don't even get to Earth until the end of the 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 season or yeah. the midpoint of the season. Uh, I like we're going to Earth right now because we have the the spore drive, and it, you know I would have expected like, oh, the spore drive's not working. We have we can't use it. Um, because because it really is overpowered, especially in this future where there's no warp drive. You know, like oh the the mushroom superhighway isn't quite working the same way in the future or something. Nope, it's everything works fine. We're gonna go to Earth right now. I was like, whoa, this is bold. I was not expecting this. And but then you're kind of let down by the end of the episode. It's like because for like exactly like you said for a show for an episode called People of Earth, we don't really learn a lot about Earth, and there it seems. It's clear that they're leaving. Like next season or next episode is not going to have anything to do with Earth. Or maybe they'll there'll be a little cap at the beginning and they're off to something else. But it's not like, in other words, Earth doesn't seem to be playing a big role in this season. So I would have liked to to see more about it. Like, because this is far into the future, what's really happening here? And I guess I guess they maybe Earth they just didn't have Earth as a big part of uh, this uh, storyline, but they wanted to give us a glimpse at it and it i i don't know i would have i would have tried to do more with it uh it does bring up i guess you can call this a nitpick so part of my worry was this is 
900 odd years in the future. Granted, there was the burn, but the burn was like 100 years ago. So you had 800 plus years of what what seems to be the Federation continuing along. It didn't seem like the Federation was falling apart and the burn was the killing blow. I mean, at least as far as I'm understanding, like the 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 burn just you know literally blew up the federation and it couldn't deal with that um so in other words the technology would have been insane i think i said this on an earlier episode 800 years of improvement improving technology there would be things that we wouldn't even be able to fathom now obviously humans from our current uh, world are writing this so it's you know it's hard to to really envision what the future, especially that far into the future, is going to look like. But if you, they have these defense things because, Earth, because from my understanding, all these warp capable ships blew up, but it's not like other technology stopped working. So you're cut off from other solar systems, et cetera, but you still have all your technology on Earth that isn't powered by dilithium which i as far as i understand star trek not, not star trek technology that's most everything other than warp drives i might be wrong in that but the the technological level of earth isn't really that much more advanced than where we left star trek in like voyager times you know um so that it's just odd to me because it's just and again this is why maybe it's a nitpick because maybe this doesn't matter. But I was hoping that the burn would have been like it really set back all technology, but it just seems like it's taking out warp, which obviously is a very huge blow to how societies work with one another. But Earth would still have everything it had developed over these like 800 years prior to the burn. And it just seems like, especially, you know, a, a very clear example is. The, as Discovery puts itself in harm's way and it gets hit by this torpedo, which, yeah. granted, goes through its shields, like its shields are immediately down, but they would have something that would be like your ship that is 800... I mean, it's like, depending on how you want to factor it, it's either 930 years old or if like its technology, for some reason, after the burn stopped improving, it's at least 800 years old, out of date. If you think about us and like some battle or a modern battleship on the seas versus like some like rowboat from 800 <laughs> years ago, it's not, you're not even, it's not even a contest, but this can like kind of take a, a hit and maybe they weren't, they were just, weren't trying to, uh, well, they were trying to destroy the, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were holding No, I, that, that moment stood out for me. I thought that was ridiculous that it didn't immediately disintegrate Discovery. Uh, I thought the other, the other, the other nitpick I had was, it turns out that these raiders are from Titan, which mm-hmm. is in our solar system, mm-hmm. and somehow no one sent like Earth sensors couldn't pick that up or figure that out. Yeah, it's like whereas I mean even in like even I mean even in Kirk's time or Discovery's time I guess was the case to be, they clearly have sy- sensors that can detect systems away, like ships coming in from systems away, like different other other systems like light years away. And here they can't detect, you know, something in a, in the same solar system and figure it out. They couldn't communicate with them. Uh, I, I thought that was really bizarre. You know, like it was just sloppy writing. Like they should have just said, "Oh, they're from Alpha Centauri," or so, you know, just some mm-hmm. other nearby star system. But yeah. to place them in our solar system was just so sloppy. It just it was just kind of jarring. Yeah, it almost seemed like they were really going for 
like an original series type like mm-hmm. thing where you know I, I again i i haven't seen a lot of the original series but obviously that's from a different time period so it's this episode was a little bit more heavy-handed in the way that i think of the original series being where there's kind of that episode in original series where like there's the aliens and one alien has black on one side and white on the other and the other aliens are black and white but the the sides are reversed and it's just kind of a heavy-handed thing about race relations and it's kind of here too so i think they're instead of like well we can't do it alpha centauri i mean they could have obviously but we're gonna have them in our solar system because not only are they humans they're like humans essentially from earth they're living somewhere else but they're all part of the same solar system. This is all part of the same family. Look at your hatred. You don't even know that these are humans because apparently this mask is like you can't t- like the it. You can't penetrate it with scans to show that they're human or anything. I, it was a little heavy-handed. Where like Giorgio was like, it was like a Scooby Doo villain. Like ah, yeah. it was this guy all <laughs> along. It was a you know, it was a little over the top. But it felt a little rushed. Like, you know, maybe this could have been a two-parter. Like, that would have given us more about Earth. We could really see what happened. They could have written in, maybe there's a, you know, obviously we have the one character who's a Trill who will probably learn about more going forward. But maybe there's a remnant of Starfleet on Earth that we kind of uh, can see. And then that way this would have given this uh, storyline with the, with the Titan uh, Raiders, a little more time to breathe, so you don't have that scene that I thought was a little mid season, mid season, right? Two parter, kind of yeah. mid season finale, two parter, and it culminates with them regrowing the concept of the Federation, like linking Earth to its other sort of you know old planets or colonies, right? Like bringing bringing them together in a new Federation. That would have been. A cool midseason, but instead you're right. They just kind of rushed in. It was very original series, which I I don't begrudge them that. I mean, I get that that's what they were trying to do. I just felt like it just (laughs) for all the potential of this episode, it it didn't really do much with it. Like it was fine, but yeah, I will say since I um, brought the character up, so when they first introduced kind of the genius kid character, I was like, oh no, this this I'm not liking where this is going because like even though I don't hate. Uh, 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 Wesley. Wesley, thank you. I was gonna, I kept, <laughs> kept wanting to say Will Wheaton, but I was, uh, Wesley Crusher, like other people do. I was like, is this gonna be Wesley Crusher 2.0, where it's like this kid, but they're smarter than everybody else, even these people who have had like training at Starfleet Academy and stuff. And like, oh, this is a little too much. But then, like, oh, she's a trill, or well, she's human, but she has a trill inside her. And she's kind of leaning on that experience of generations of, of Trill before her. It's like that's interesting, and it, you know, and I had heard that there were that there was going to be Trill involved in the season, and that makes sense because they were going to have these long term memories of like what happened to the Federation and stuff. And that, I think that's a cool plot device to use, and I like that. And I thought there were just, there was going to be an episode where they visit Trill, and mm-hmm. that's going to be their involvement. But no, we're going to get what seems to be a character that's going to be part of the show is is Trill and I like that because it gives a tie to you know kind of next generation and deep space 9 era which are my which is my favorite and so like oh 
Are we going to meet Dax somewhere? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, give it to me. I don't care. I yeah, like. Right. I'm all on board with like fan service. Let's do Let's it. Let's see Dax. Just bring it. Let's do <laughs> yeah. it. All in. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go. And uh, uh, speaking of like, oh, now we have this. It seems like a new character that's going to be part of the show. Which you could say they already have all these characters that they already don't know what to do with. So maybe this isn't the greatest idea. But maybe you're right. They'll they they they've learned to be kind of more inclusive with the cast and give people uh, a little bit more time. We didn't see the the guy from the, the first episode. The, he's like going to be the communications guy. Like he said, like, oh, come with us. Is it, Maybe he's not going to be a character going forward. I don't know. Uh, so hopefully they they do something interesting with this character because I do like that concept. And why, why is, I guess, she's... Uh, they they're not in contact with Trill anymore, so they had to use a human host. And like, I mean, I just think that's there's something there's interesting things you can do with that. And so hopefully she doesn't go by the wayside like the communications guy did, or maybe he'll just be in an, another episode going forward. I don't know. Yeah, but I do like yeah. Again, with a two parter thing, then we would have gotten more than just the tree. I thought if you had to limit to limit it to just a scene and a short scene at that. They did it pretty effectively, you know, the tree metaphor of this, you know, this has grown over the entire time that we've missed and which is feasible. There's, you know, tree, some trees are very long lived. This was here when, and we were in this spot um, and it's still here. So even though everything has changed, some things are still the same and that's something to hold on to. I, I you know, I like that as a metaphor. I, I thought it was effective given that it's you know they had so little time to work with but we could have expanded again expanded upon that with like a two-parter or something but it was nice as you mentioned to see all those bridge crew together although i guess you could argue maybe they're just saying because even then they're just a group like well We'll give them a little sliver of screen time, but they're all together. So it does, you know, it's not like they're yeah. all—they're each individually doing things. It's just they're a group together. Uh, so not totally effective, but I like that they're thinking about it at least. So, <laughs> so anyway, let, oh, we forgot. So to close up, let's—we uh, forgot to do our beige rating of the mandalorian unless did you have anything else on discovery no I, th I think that makes sense so for viewers uh to remember beige is klingon for pain or punishment and i'm and gonna we... tweak the the uh the scale a little bit so okay. not that this matters and nobody cares but i'm gonna say it's expand it from zero to ten but no half points oh okay that makes and more sense. That makes yeah. it a little easier to follow. Yeah, because before we were at zero to five and there were halves, and it, we might yeah. as well just do zero to ten. So, so zero, zero is like is perfect. You had no punishment whatsoever. Uh, and then, so zero is the best score for people. And, and keeping ten track is at a home. totally insufferable, painful. Ten is like you episode. couldn't even finish it. Ten is <laughs> yeah, like I, that's I right. couldn't stop. I, I had to stop watching. I couldn't. That's finish. right. Yeah. That's right. All right, so uh, so let's do Mandalorian first. What uh, uh, what's uh, what's your beige rating on that? I'm gonna give it two beige. Two it beige. was okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good score. It was good. Um, not like great, amazing. Um, you know, a few little nitpicks, a few things that I thought could have been done better. For example, we've seen this plot before. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but overall, it was a good start and uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I. Uh... This is hard. I, I thought it would be easier with the larger scale. I guess I'll do three beige. Only it's hard because it's the first episode, and hopefully, 
you know, they'll kind of play around with some of the things we talked about. Um, again, not huge. There was not, I'll give it to whatever. There was no huge like pain. This is why this is hard because there's, if you really get into pain, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nuance between a zero and a 10 score of how much pain you suffer. But there was no moments in the Mandalorian where I was watching where I was just like, uh, or rolling my eyes or like, I can't believe they're doing this. The kind of the repeat of the plot from the first, uh, season was the closest to that where it's like, uh, but I think I thought they did enough with it that was it was almost like I said that they let's do this better this time. Like we can make this more interesting. Not that there was anything wrong with the episode from the first season necessarily, but I think they did enough with it that it was okay that it was kind of a, a repeat of the g- general plot structure. Um, so I'll do two as well. So let's move on to Discovery. Uh, how much beige are you giving this episode of Discovery? Hmm. Probably three or four beige. I mean, probably not four. See, it's hard without halves now. Probably, <laughs> but three is almost too generous. That's somewhere in between. Th- so yeah, I'll <sighs> round it up to four. You know, you want to four. Yeah, which is which is not to say there was, you know, it was it wasn't a bad episode, but it just wasn't that great either. It was it was um, it was a mildly entertaining episode, and therefore. Um, the unpleasantness was also very mild. <laughs> so, yes, yes. For, for Beige, you know, it, it had promise. It didn't really fulfill it. Um, it was fine. You know, it was better than an average episode of Discovery, but not by much. Yeah, and that's... I, I made you go up to four so you can seem heartless, and I can take the three Beige rating. Um, no, that's the problem <laughs> with, the, with the Beige rating, because you're, you're really just like, how painful was this? And it wasn't really painful, but it wasn't uh, like a soaring episode either. So I'm in the same range, three or four, because like I liked that we're going right to Earth. We're, like we're not messing around, but I feel like they could have done more with it. There wasn't. I I, I do think the scene where because I felt it was rushed, like it was it was a human all along was a little hokey and i think they could have done that better if they had more time to kind of really explain the the back and forth with with the titan people and like it just it was totally and, and then like, the plan to capture him where it was like uh michael and um, book had a plan and we never saw the plan it just kind of yes. just kind of worked off screen yes and it's like he's <laughs> he's just lower and i guess it, it 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 turned out making more sense because it's just this like I don't minor or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if they said what he did, but you know, so he isn't like this uh, raider gangster guy. So maybe he's not as sophisticated. It's like even I know, and Michael knows from being nine hundred years in the past. You don't lower your shields. You know, like it's just kind of like yeah, lower your shields. We'll give you all this stuff, even though we're being totally terse with you, and you're like in a combat zone right now and like no that was not a good idea uh so but it makes more sense when you find out maybe he's not as sophisticated in terms of like uh you know uh fighting uh, wars and stuff but um yeah you're right that was kind of an extension of it where it just felt that felt a little rushed um so there so there was a little bit more beige than mandalorian is the point i'm getting to so maybe like a four is fair even though it's not but then you're getting close to five, which is like halfway th- to the scale. Um, but anyway, not nobody cares. We'll say two for Mandalorian, four for uh, this episode of Discovery. And thank you for listening. Next time, we're going to 
continue along we'll we'll be discussing the next episode of the mandalorian so that'll be season two episode two and discovery season three episode four so thanks for coming along on our journey of all the starships in all the galaxies in all the universes i had to choose this one